brought to you almost live from the dude in the basement studios. Why? Because that's where the good stuff is. It sips, suds, and smokes with your smoking host, the good old boys. It's sippin' time. It is definitely sippin' time, international style, today. <laughs> Welcome to Sips, Suds, and Smokes on this Sips episode, where everything good is good in life is worth discussing with a foreign accent today. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> right, what she said. Uh, we are the best thing on at 2 a.m., and we thank you for choosing us instead of, we want to say... Learning Chinese in three easy steps at 2 a.m. This is good old boy Mike here at the table. Joining me here at the table is good old gal Juliana. Hey. Uh, also, good old boy Harmeet. Thanks for having me. And good old boy Bob. Always good to be here. Bob and Harmeet are joining us from uh, Fort Lauderdale, and uh, Bob is part of a group called the Bourbon Mafia. He's a made man. He knows people who know people who can say Sauterne correctly. Yes. <laughs> he makes me come to these things. I do what he says. Armin is his is supplier, right? I just work for the mafia. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Sips, Suds, and Smokes is sponsored by Fine Spirits Wine and Liquor. Check out the Enomatic machines to sample great products by the glass including great selections of bourbon and whiskey. You can reach them online at www.finespirits.net. Well, our sip segments are all about wine, distilled spirits, tea, and coffee. This episode today is all about international whiskey. We have several great products to go over today, plus we'll be speaking really bad accents across four different countries and focusing on offending at least our entire global audience. So the least we could do is say hello in any language. Hello. we definitely wanted to say hello to our global audience today on this uh, episode. So, Harmeet gets the honors of going over our SIPS ratings for today. Harmeet. Thank you. Satsuri Akal, y'all. Uh, I have the pleasure of giving you the ratings today. SIP rating number one. Give me a glass of water to wash out my mouth. Sip rating number two. 
That's nice, but what else do you have? Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> With three sips. Hmm. That's interesting. What was this again? Interesting. Four sips. Let's keep this a secret to ourselves. Pour me another, boy. That's classified. Five sips. Oh my. I was unaware anything could be this good. Wow, I absolutely think that is the best elicitation of our sips ratings ever. I mean, that deserves like round of applause. I mean, yes. There was no method acting. No. He channeled his inner southern, you know, self. Yes. Through that. Like I felt uh, like <clears throat> I was in Hazard County. I wanted to go to a man. I wanted to go to a NASCAR race. Just listen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to. I'm going to share some family secrets. My my wife has a, a bikini trophy from uh, Budweiser from a NASCAR race. <laughs> I I'm married into the South, my friend. I'm married. <laughs> We're going to look past all that. Uh, just Alabama to, uh, stuff. We'll still let you sip whiskey, whiskey with us. So, well. Uh, Really a great show. We're actually combining whiskey and foreign cultures, and I get to butcher and mispronounce just about everything once again. Truly the definition of disaster in the making, that is for sure. So, um, uh, Harmeet, I'm really not quite sure how you reconcile so many things going on at the same time. You're Indian culture, you're from South Florida, and you're married to someone from Alabama so effortlessly. I mean... How do you I pull it off all the time? It's it's. I wouldn't call it effortlessly. That's <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> I, first off, I can't even say effortlessly right now. Uh, oh, effortless. Uh, maybe I could say it like this: It is not effortless. <laughs> we put lots of effort into our marriage. You know, I married in a southern girl from Alabama. You know, she had to teach me football. I I at this point out there not playing with her feet. It did not make sense to me. <laughs> And then she puts up with my parents. So the really the effort's all on her part. <laughs> my my in-laws live in North Florida, so uh, I don't see them that much, and uh, it works. Yeah, that's how you pick a wife. If she if she <laughs> can stand your parents, you're in. Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, this show is not about offending your spouse, but there is a really great lineup of international whiskeys we're going to get to talk about today, um, and uh, some really great products uh, in this flight. So a really great uh, lineup for us to talk about. Uh, the products we're going to discuss today are Millstone 100 Rye from Holland, Kavalan, Sherry Cask. Kavalan. Kavalan, right. That's just what uh, they said. Kavalan Port Cask, uh, both those are from Taiwan. Whistle Pig, Saltern Cask Rye, that's from Canada. We'll talk a little bit about some of the lineage of that uh, as we talk about it a little bit later. Tillamardu, Phoenix, Amrut, uh, single malt peated from India are the products that we're going to go over for today. So hopefully you're looking forward to this show because we uh, really have a broad range of things to talk about. Juliana has some background on international whiskeys to go over with us, as well as a bunch of pop quiz, right? Oh, yes. There's always questions. So today's show, we wanted to discuss the more non-traditional locations that are making truly amazing whiskeys. 
So in general, you tend to think of whiskey coming from the U.S. and Canada, Japan, and Scotland. Harmeet will explain why that is the case a bit later. Okay, first question. Mm. What country... I was told there was no quiz here. This is wrong. <laughs> I came to drink. It's I not a question of mental capacity. It's almost never the letter E. Calm down. It's not E. <laughs> Sorry, go on with your question. Sorry. Okay. First question. What country consumes over 50% of whiskey in the world? Missouri. Alabama. I, I know this one, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like... Anybody? Anybody? Mm. What is India? Come on. What is India if not the most consuming of the... Please raise it as a question, Alex. Wow. He's pretty good. He is. All right. It's good for a hundred dollar question. <laughs> and yes, Harmeet, the answer is India. Definitely. France, Uruguay, and the US are right behind rounding out another forty percent. Hmm. Wow. <clears throat> that is uh that's pretty wild. So uh I would say that uh, they really like their uh whiskey in Indiana. So it's how or yeah. in not Indiana, <laughs> in India. The Indiana part <laughs> of India. Here's how they yeah. say it. There we go. <clears throat> it's good. My Hindi is horrible, but that was pretty good. Google, <laughs> Google for the win. <laughs> All right. Question number two. What country consumes the most whiskey per capita? Alabama. <laughs> Georgia. Well, I, I believe it's Texas because that's a whole other country. NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> Drink whiskey in Texas, or just <laughs> All right, how about it? Okay, country answer is France. Ooh, vive la France! Yeah, with 2.15 liters per person per year. That is crazy. So, I guess I know really some places in the south where that's one weekend. Good word. <laughs> so, they really love their whiskey in France for sure. Vous aimez votre whisky en France. would, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and here are the rest of the top five whiskeys consumers globally. globally. Per capita. Per capita, yeah. One person yep. or drinks two. 2.1 liters in France alone. Yeah, pretty awesome. It's crazy. That's Uruguay is 1.77. The U.S. is third at 1.41. We made the top five, people. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Australia is fourth with 1.3. Good day, mate. Have a drink with me. And Spain's rounding it out at 1.29. Almost die, eh? Say it. You're back. (laughs) 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 All right. Question number three Do you think we drink more or less liquor than in 1900? That's a long time ago. Yeah. You mean continuously from the 1900s? <laughs> then they had more reasons to drink back then before air conditioning. <laughs> I agree. It was a form of entertainment alone. <laughs> yeah. No good Plague cable TV. And locusts and, yeah. <laughs> you have to talk with your spouse. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the answer is less. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. That's right, kids. Your great-grandparents drank you and your parents under the table at the same time. Wow. Oh, you knew, you knew my great-grandmother. Oh, okay. I did. Yeah. We shared a few pints. It was cool. 
Uh-huh. She made her own. It was cheaper. Of course. I was like, we, we, I, Bob's from the hills. I married into Alabama. Our family's made whiskey. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about this data we made up, after consuming a bottle or two of whiskey with a British Beer and Pub Association, was a dramatic growth of wine consumption overall. The spirits consumption trend line is about the same as around 1900. Hmm. So, you have to understand that demand is up, especially in countries with large population growth, like India and China. That's one reason why such great products are being produced in non-traditional locations. It reduces all that supply chain costs to make the booze closer to the consumer. So, a prime example on our lineup today is Kavalin, based in Kavalin. Sorry, a distiller that was that has won numerous industry accolades, and I'll bet you have rocked right. You have walked right by that bottle and never knew who they were. Canadian whiskey has a distinction of quality and the continuity of production. A long-held myth is the era of prohibition practically defined the Canadian distillery industry. But not really. One of the largest distilleries in the world in 1900 was Gooderham and Wartz, producing 2 million gallons of whiskey every year. I don't know about this. Uh, Why would you trust any country under British rule so long? I mean, India, we got out of there. They're still under British rule, and they speak French. You can't trust those Canadians. This is worse than the family gatherings I go to. (laughs) Indians, Alabamans. Well, Bob has a bit more uh, background on international whiskey. All right. Uh, Well, the close cousins next to Scotland decided to make their own distinctive whiskey with selections that we'll discuss today uh, from Ireland. Uh, A trend in consumption is being driven by price, availability, and quality. Uh, Whisking consumers can get bored of the same old thing, and what you're seeing now is a wide variety of tasting profiles. After you've tried, you know, 50 different American whiskeys, that dramatic difference with a whiskey from Taiwan can be quite appealing, as well as the novelty of having something new and different that you can talk about. Uh, we've tasted these global malts, and it's given us grounds for optimism. Uh, take MacMyra from Sweden, for example. Uh, I tried that uh, at uh, Whiskey Fest a couple of years ago. Absolutely amazing. Uh, bright, clean, fun, uh, just, just a really interesting malt. Uh, or the Amaric Classic from Brittany in France, a Celtic region. Uh, it's also dark and leathery and even brandy-like, as is the MacMyra Sunny. Uh, both of these are bottled pretty young, still a little bit nippy, uh, as is the McCarthy Single Malt from Clear, Key, uh, Clear Creek in Portland, Oregon. Three years old and as smoky as a mesquite fire. But these companies are still young and their whiskeys can be expected to mellow with time. But there's more to the story than young whiskey and experimental whiskey. Uh, Amrup from India is a company that was founded in 1948 and has been experimenting with malt since the 80s. Uh, all it takes is a taste of its uh, really just amazingly scotch-like fusion, which is a stellar bottle, a blend of whiskeys made from uh, peated Scottish malt and unpeated Indian malt, uh, to be convinced that there's nothing wrong with making you know a scotch-like drink uh, as long as it's you know good. Yeah, that, that fusion stuff is amazing. I think uh, Jim Murray gave it second best whiskey in the world one year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Third best. It's a huge whiskey. It's it's rich. Uh, just just you know, a, a really stellar malt overall. And I know we're looking forward to talking about um, you know the Amrut uh, today as well. Harmeet has uh, uh, some news about the top five whiskey brands worldwide. Let's see, we'll see, uh, we'll see what yeah. you know. So, 
Anyone want to take a guess as to number one? Mm, Kids. Budweiser. Kids. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong, wrong show. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I uh, this is done by research, and I cannot vouch for the research because apparently here Jack Daniels came in number one. Mm, How's well, going on with this, guys? Round Foreman, yeah. I'm telling you, Johnny Walker should be number one. <laughs> There's more fake Johnny Walker drank than Johnny Walker makes. So if you include the fake stuff, then you... Now, Johnny Walker came in number two. Fine, be that way. Uh, Jameson Irish, really stellar brand, kicking it all over the world. It's number three. Canadian Club, number four. Again, those untrustworthy... They're, they're Canada's hat. How do we drink all their whiskey? I mean, they're America's hat. Wow, said that wrong. I actually I'm was a Canadian citizen at one point. I, I can be just as brutal to Canada as I want to be. <laughs> Ten years in Winnipeg will do that to you. Makes you that makes you bitter as the winter. Makes you bitter as the winter. Number five friend is Suntory. And Suntory makes all those wonderful Japanese, or a lot of the wonderful Japanese whiskeys we drink. And uh, I, I don't know uh, did the, who did the research on these stats. Is Suntory also including the Jim Beam they own now and the Bowmore? They should. <clears throat> yeah. This list may have been compiled before those deals were complete, so that may be re- reason why uh, it's not. Uh, com- uh, yeah, they may be higher on that list now. Well, it's a really scientific process that I came up with for this. I actually walked through the liquor store and just watched what people were pulling off the shelf, and I went, mm, yeah, nice. one Jack, <laughs> one Johnny Walker, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one Tillamardu. Whoa, man. <laughs> they put it back on the shelf, picked up the Jameson. So. Yeah, right. confused. Got confused. I love their commercials. <laughs> so. they're, they're totally focused on hipsters. All these whiskey companies, all about the hipsters these days. Yeah. Damn you, damn hipsters. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, definitely, um, I would say, at least for the U.S. market, uh, the one brand that's on here is Centauri, you may not be familiar with. Um, a, a Japanese company, and if you've not checked out our other show on Japanese whiskey, definitely check it out. We have uh, a review of some Suntory products on that show, and uh, um, Suntory actually bought Jim Beam, right? So yeah. <clears throat> uh, you should definitely uh, be well aware of a lot of crossbreeding and brands, you know, between companies here as well. So really great I'll say information. Crossbreeding people here from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Well, cross-reading is better than inbreeding. <laughs> That's why my daughter is so beautiful. Let's take a brown guy and a white girl. Beautiful kids. Mm-hmm. Miscegenation was illegal until very recently. <laughs> <laughs> but what top five brand of whiskey was involved during that process? <laughs> or was it beer? Were you listening to Chardonnay? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we do not... Well, like, like I said, my wife has a Budweiser bikini trophy because she worked for Budweiser, too. So, oh, God. <laughs> Oh, I go. can't believe this. Now, this is just horrible. She worked for Budweiser, but uh, roll tide. Sorry. I'm glad we we're working on Harmeet's uh, fourth <laughs> divorce in the middle of this show. <laughs> well, listen, uh, we really enjoyed some uh, good background here on uh, international whiskeys. We're going to take a quick break, then we're going to come back. We're actually going to talk about some of these products that we're going to uh, get to taste and rate today. So come right back and enjoy some more fun with us.
Hey, welcome back to Sips, Suds, and Smokes. This good old boy, Mike. You're back on an episode we have about international whiskeys today. We have several great products that we're going to get to talk about, and I'm going to revisit that list once again real quick. It's uh, Millstone 100 Rye from Holland. Kavalan. <laughs> Kavalan. 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 I knew I was going to. Kavalan. Sherry Cast from Taiwan. Kavalan Port Cast from Taiwan. Whistle Pig Sautern Cask Rye from Canada. Tillamardu Phoenix from Ireland. Amrut from a uh, single malt peated from India. Uh, so those Amrut. Are, it's Amrut. Amrut, right. The way that uh, Harmeet said it. <clears throat> so listen, we had a contest right before the show about who was going to have the best accents from each of these countries, or at least butcher the pronunciation less than me. And each host was assigned a product to introduce uh, the product based on this less than scientific process combined with whiskey. Harmeet was not allowed to compete for his native tongue, although I was allowed to compete in the best southern dialect. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, up first, talking about the whistle pig. It's going to be good old boy Bob. All right. Well, let's see. Whistle pig, eh? Whistle pig's a bad... They're based out of Vermont, you know, eh? It's a southern Canadian. And I think they, uh, you know, I think they're, they're right next to... There's a donut shop next to them. Um, it's owned by uh, Raj Peter Bakta, uh, who was a uh, gentleman... Damn Indians. Yeah. He was a gentleman who was... Uh, he was one of the uh, guys on uh, Trump's apprentice back uh, a few years back. Uh, in 2007, he purchased the Vermont farm that became Whistle Pig. You're hired. Uh, they're in the process of building their own distillery, and they've hired Dave Pickerel, who was a former master distiller over at Maker's Mark. Hell of a nice guy. Um, retired out of there and a very well-known whiskey consultant. He does a lot of work with a lot of startup companies around now uh, to help them shape the new distillery. Uh, but for the time being now, um, they basically you know, they come forward and said, yeah, we're, so, we're sourcing our whiskey and we're sourcing it from Alberta Premium Distillery, which is up in Canada. So there's the international uh, international connection. With, yeah. uh, Whistle Pig clearly says Vermont on that label. Yep. Mm. <clears throat> so what are your taste notes on this, Bob? Um, the nose, very floral, very sweet, uh, hints of melon, a little bit of apple, a little bit of pear. Um, on the palate, again, sweet up front. The, uh, the wine influence really comes through. Uh, you can really taste the, the, the Sauterne cask. Um, it's got a slight bit of spice in the back of the taste, uh, around the back of the tongue, just, just a little bit. Uh, it's got a relatively medium finish. Um, overall, overall, a very nice whiskey. I gave it a three. Hmm, about that. Interesting. A three. Hmm, interesting. What was that again? Uh, good old gal, Juliana, what did you think about uh, the whistle pick? This had a really interesting um, flavor profile to it. I, I got a lot of floral notes on it. Um, I, I almost want to say there was like honeysuckle or or something very similar to honeysuckle in there. And um, I got a bit of pepperiness from the rye. And um, you could take this, taste the sauternes too. Um, I gave this one a three though. Mm, as well. How about that? Hmm, interesting. What was that again going around? So uh, good old boy, Harmeet, what do you think about uh, Whistle Pig? Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> this, I don't understand this pig whistling. It is a rye for Vermont on it. Comes from Canada. Then they took French wine barrels and aged it. 
What are they doing? What is going on here? It was named it after a groundhog to me. <laughs> it was very pretty and floral up top. I really liked the notes there. Little orangey coming out. I, I get exactly what Juliana was saying about the honeysuckle. It's there. And on the palate, uh, I it just was straightforward, just like the nose. And there was a little bitterness. Um, I didn't really taste the botrytis I would expect from a Sauterne cask. I don't know how old these casks were or when they were used before barreling the whiskey. Or uh, and there was some spice there, but I didn't. I didn't think the Sauterne shined like it should have. I was expecting more from this whiskey. I thought it was a confused whiskey. Uh, a number three. Uh, three sips. A three as well. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. What was that again? Well, I would confer with my brown brethren about uh, exactly what was going on in Canada. They're so confusing. Are you from Vermont? Are you from Canada? I don't know. <laughs> well... Uh, my tasting notes uh, are are actually very straightforward about this. Um, I wrote that it was uh, sweet. Um, it had a, a bit of a, a peat finish to it. Um, you know, I have had, I've tasted a lot of the Whistle Pig uh, products. They have a lot. They have <clears throat> uh, this one. Uh, I think there's uh, a straight um, 90 proof version. They have this not been in a wine barrel at all. It's just like in a straight barrel. Yeah. Then they have Boss Hog, which is a barrel strength version, I think. Is that right, guys? Yeah. They have a 12 and a 16-year-old version. <coughs> yeah. Boss Hog, too. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple so, of different Boss Hogs. Yeah, so there's a lot of varieties to the of this Whistle Pig, and I think that I probably had, you know, in my mind, I, I was thinking Canadian whiskey, this is blended, this is, you know, going to have a certain profile to it that's going to try to hit a broad range of palates. And I think that they accomplished that. If that was their goal, is that they were looking for a middle of the road, you know, blended whiskey, I think they hit it. So um, my rating is exactly the same as all of yours, a three as well. Hmm. Interesting. What was that again? So yeah, I think we that, definitely that, that agree. That doesn't bode well for that price point. Yeah. That's a well, pricey whiskey. Yeah, I agree. And I think that they're. Uh, I think they're writing a bit more on uh, brand awareness than necessarily the product as well. So I agree. All right. Up next is going to be Gal Juliana is going to talk about Millstone 100 rye. So Millstone 100 is a Dutch single rye by Zudam Distillers and Zwiedam. 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 Okay. Zwiedam Distillers was started back in 1975 by Fred Van Zwiedam with a small distillery, one small copper still, and one small production line. In 1989, due to the success of their products, Zwiedam tripled the size of their facility and added a second production line. Today, the company is run by his two sons, Patrick and Gilbert, with Patrick taking care of the distillery and production and Gilbert handling the sales and marketing. The current distillery has further expanded with four new copper stills, over 1,000 oak barrels, four production lines, and modern tank storage. Zwiedam is well known for the several lines of gin and Genevieve. The Millstone 100 Rye is their 100% rye whiskey, and they love the number 100 for many reasons. Um, one is that it is 
a whiskey that is 100% small pot still distilled. The grain is 100% milled by Dutch windmills. It is matured for 100 months little in... Little Dutch people come out and crush the grain with their little Dutch shoes? They do. Yeah. Yes. That's why it takes so long. That's better than those Alabama windmills. Come on. Roll <laughs> <laughs> <Well> Tide. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so it's matured for 100 months in 100% new charred American oak barrels and bottled at, wait for it, 100 proof. So the metric system gone wild. (laughs) I don't know. I'm lost in the whole thing. (laughs) Millimeters. What number are we on again? 100. (laughs) But this one goes to 11, so... So, this was awarded the Best European Rye in 2014 by the World Whiskey Awards. Um, this, I was so looking forward to tasting this. I, It's like going to your favorite uh, Jewish deli and having the best rye bread ever, but in liquid form. Um, it, you you get that pepperiness and and the rye bread flavor. Um, you get some butterscotch and there's some vanilla and some citrus, and even I was tasting like peach preserves. I know that sounds weird, but I I, I couldn't shake it. And I really loved this expression. Um, I gave it a four. A four. How about that? <clears throat> Let's keep the secret to ourselves. Pour me another without me clearing that throat. Uh, Well, thank you, uh, Juliana, for the background as well as your uh, notes. Um, Good old boy, Bob, what did you think about uh, this, um, the uh, Millstone 100 rye? Um, On the nose, I got a lot of dry fruit, uh, raisins, currants, uh, got some apricot, got just the slightest uh, in the back of my had uh, just the slightest hint of chocolate a little bit grassy um, the palate cinnamon spice cloves toasted oak uh, again a little bit of the chocolate caramel sweet um, had a pretty good length on finish a little bit of spiciness very fresh uh, liked it a lot I gave it a four wow four that's classified let's keep it a secret to ourselves pour me another so uh, my tasting notes here on uh, Millstone 100 Rye um, so um, I actually thought this needed a little bit of water uh, to kind of come about um, this is one of the few that I actually uh, I kept on coming back to it um, I don't know if it was there was so much going on it was so simplistic I just was kind of you know really perplexed you know, about the whole thing uh, some of the things I wrote down there was smoke all over this and I thought it had a smoke finish to it um, you know um, you know I, I thought it was just a a very simple, you know, good rye. Um, you know, I my sips rating for this is actually a three. Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting. What was that again? Good old boy, Harmi. What do you think about uh, Millstone 100 rye? Um, I kind of agreed with the tasting notes kind of on Bob. Dried fruit on the nose, but I got more chocolate than he did. He just hit. I got chocolate on the nose, and, and it was very grassy. When I added cold water to it, uh, the chocolate really came out. The palate was the cinnamon, yeah, clove, definitely and vanilla, lots of chocolate. Uh, I didn't love it because I thought it was a little bit unbalanced. I thought it was a little too spicy, even with the water. Uh, it's 100 proof. 
and uh, I don't think it should have taken so much water to tame that alcohol, but uh, it, uh, I mean, the flavors were there. It was all, it was, it was hitting on, on where it should have been hitting, but for some reason it was a little bit off balance, so I, I only gave it a three. I wanted to like it more. Hmm. Interesting. Well, a uh, really interesting product all the way around, and um, a really great representation of, you know, two international whiskeys, completely different, you know, countries, and uh, a very different take on, on rye, that's for sure. Um, well, up next is uh, good old boy Harmeet talking about the Kavalan. Kavalan. Port and sherry cask. So, uh, intentionally at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we know. We know. I, I think you actually spelled my name wrong a few times, too, on, on, on the emails. You know, I, I know it's just you. It's just you. Kavalan. Uh, it was created by uh, Tian Sai Li, a Taiwanese businessman who owns the King Car Conglomerate in Taiwan. Mr. Lee hired Dr. James Swan, the internationally known whiskey consultant and distiller at Pandaren Distillery in Wales. Don't get me started about those West, Welsh distillers, by the way. To insist... No, I have got nothing against the Welsh, although they have a reputation about Welshing. To assist in the building of the distillery, the development of their range of whiskeys. So he, he did all that stuff with them. He, he did the building and, and, and the whole range. They use uh, Scottish copper pot stills, and because of the subtropical climate of Taiwan, just like in India, that fermentation is done at temperature-controlled stainless steel tanks. The Kavalan has to, um, ages very fast. Uh, and they only began distilling in 2006, but they're putting out whiskey that tastes a lot older. The, the warehouses are five-story buildings. They hold 30,000 casks. And, you know, they're all, and because of the earthquakes in the region, the casks are tied together. So you may not recognize this as a rickhouse from America. And again, we're talking about that climate. The top floor in in Kavalan's uh, rickhouse can get to 108 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow! And that kind of evaporation that leads to a huge evaporation. So the angel share in America is you know really small, but uh, what's it three to yeah, fifteen probably you know fourish somewhere there three like yeah two percent in Scotland right right two percent Scotland uh, twelve to fifteen percent in in Kavalan. That's a lot of product to give up for sure. So all that stuff is being sucked into the wood and going out of the wood and coming back. And that, that maturation happens very fast. So uh, 2014 World Whiskey Awards, uh, the soloist Vino Barrique from Kavalon, their high-end, the $200 range stuff, won Best Asian Single Malt uh, Whiskey for the World Whiskies in London. Uh, I think they also won Best Whiskey of the Year, didn't they? Yeah. But for international whiskey, not whiskey just Asian, the Best International Whiskey. Yep. And uh, 2012, Jim Murray got them, uh, gave the Kavalon soloist, the Fino Sherry cask, the best new whiskey of the year. So these are, you know, like I said, they started in 2006, and these are serious whiskey. Serious, yeah, they're they're coming out in the market gangbusters. Well, let's start with your uh, tasting notes on the uh, port. Okay, the port cask. Let's see my notes here. So this was uh, finished in American oak. I'm sorry, it was Asian American oak, and then they finished it in ruby and tawny uh, vintage port wine barrels, barriques, and you can taste the port. Um, the color was just beautiful, caramel. Berries was on the nose. It was just like raisins, berry, vanilla. Uh, and on the palate, it was just 
kind of one note, but when I added cold water to it, cherry and cinnamon really exploded out of that glass. Uh, I thought the finish was quite long. Uh, the oak was a little bit light. The fruit and the berries keep coming out. The spice is very good. I, I thought it was a solid, solid dram. I gave it four points, or four sips. Sorry. about that? <clears throat> Let's keep the secret to ourselves. Pour me another. So, uh, good old gal, Juliana, what did you think about the uh, port? Um, to start, it had a great aroma, and once I added water to it, it reminded me a lot of um, Eagle Rare 17 in the sense of a lot of cherry and vanilla and something I would expect from a well-aged whiskey. And um, it blows me away that they have not been distilling that long because, I mean, this is something that you would expect from a distillery that's been producing for many, many years. And I, it was just beautiful. I gave it a four. Four as well. Good old boy, Bob, what do you think about the port cask? Uh, on the nose, berries, raisins. Uh, again, the, the port influence is, is right in your face. You're not getting around it. it it's right there on the palate again. Port forward, uh, berries, grapey uh, almost. And like Harm said, with uh, with water, it opened up. You got some cherry, you got some cinnamon, you got some clove. I got a little nutmeggy in the back. Uh, good finish, uh, definitely a good finish. Uh, ripe berries, a little bit of spice. Uh, good solid whiskey. I gave it a four. About that as well. Hmm, interesting. What was that again? Well, um, I, I really love this, um, and I think part of it is because I'm a huge port wine fan, and not very unusual to have both, you know, uh, Tawny and Ruby, you know, uh, port elements, you know, that are kind of blended together like this. I'm, I'm used to having those as distinct products, and you know, some very distinct tasting profiles as well but i really thought this was uh, shining very well um you know my tasting notes again were very simple about this um i thought that it had um a lot of smoke on it but i also thought i was really tasting a tremendous amount of the of the port kind of washing over this as well i was really uh tempering everything about the whiskey and kind of rounding things out um so i really thought the, the barrel was the bell of the ball, and I think in this uh, particular uh, rendition, um, I actually, the smoke was right on the nose as well, and I actually went back and, and tasted it again and, and kind of checked it out right here as well before we were tasting. And just uh, this thing smells great, it really does. Um, it's a really great uh, whiskey. Um, I didn't get the smoke you're talking about, I got toasty oak, almost smoke, not, not, uh, not a smoky. Yeah. I think that's maybe, uh, I would say it's a soft smoke. Yeah, so toasty might be a, a better adjective for sure. Uh, my sips rating for the um, port uh, cask is a four. All around. Hmm. Interesting. What was that again? All the way around. I agree. Uh, Harmeet, uh, tell us what you thought about the sherry cask rendition of this. Okay, the sherry cask. This was so dark. Did you see the color of that stuff? Yep. I, I thought it was a port cask. I didn't think it was a sherry cask, the, the way the color looked. Um, the nose was huge. The nose was just huge. It was yep. just all sherry and figs and chocolates. Uh, when I added, uh, well, when I tasted it without water, it was just overpowering. It was huge. It was just, just 
it kept going on and on, and there was layers and flavors, and I just, I thought they were a little bit muddled. I just, I couldn't pick it apart until I added the water. And then it got more delineated. I got more figs and cherries. I got light spice. I got the, on the palate, I got the, the it was more rich. Actually, adding water made it more rich. It was, I, I could just taste the things better. And the finish was just long and lingering and so much chocolate, dark, dark chocolate on that finish. I wanted a cigar right then. Hmm. I wanted a cigar, and, and I was, I'm going to go five. I'm going to go five. How about that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my, I was unaware anything yeah. could be this good. Yeah. Go to Gal what do you think about the sherry cask version of this? Well, for as much as I enjoyed the port cask, this was, I mean, 10 billion times more flavor, if that's even possible. Um, I got a lot of dark fruits. I got cherry um um and fig flavors and just really very intense almost overwhelming and um like harmeet said a very long finish very chocolatey um a beautiful dessert whiskey if that's even possible to say and i gave it four Mm -hmm. i had i had dessert whiskey written down too it's definitely a four how about that uh, good old boy, Bob, what did you think about the uh, sherry cask? Uh, I tell you, the, the first time I tried this, the first bottle I got, uh, realizing how long they've been making whiskey and thinking that the evaporation rate, I know the maximum years that this could possibly have been aged, the, the color on this thing, it, it, it is as dark as Satan's heart. Um, the nose is just tremendous, just sherries and figs and spice and cocoa and vanilla is just all in your face uh, on the palate it's it's it, it is huge it's like a brick to the teeth um, the sherry notes are there berries and currants just deep deep rich big and and, and I, I'm with harm on this that uh, it, it when you take it straight out of the glass straight there's so much going on it's almost impossible to to pick everything out it's it's literally just flavor upon flavor and a little water just really helps separate it and delineate it um the finish just went on and on and on uh, you know a, a stellar whiskey i gave it a five five. Oh my goodness yeah 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 well i don't think that uh, i could really add a whole lot more to uh, the tasting notes that you guys have already i mean i just thought this was amazing um about the only choice words i might add would be um the sherry was definitely a wonderful uh addition to this and um i i really enjoyed this particular version um the one complex was the one thing i wrote about this um it definitely had it felt like 15 layers of flavor uh all over it and uh i really just i really enjoyed this this is one of the my favorite products i've had in, in quite some time um so uh, my sips rating is a five as oh well very easy yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh from a place that most people have absolutely no idea makes yeah. whiskey and uh, I'll be picking up the phone this week and chasing somebody down for something larger than a sample, that's for sure, <laughs> for this. Uh, it was that great. So I'll give it my highest compliment. I'm actually, per- I'll buy it. <laughs> so, um, well, uh, we've enjoyed uh, some good discussions so far about uh, several great products. 
We're going to take another quick break. We're going to come back and talk about some more international whiskey. So come right back. Hey, welcome back to Sips, Suds, and Smokes. We're here talking about international whiskeys today, and uh, we have uh, uh, a lot of great products to talk about. We have two more to go over, and uh, we'll uh, cover these uh, quickly here for you. So uh, the next product up is uh, Telemer Dew uh, Phoenix is the version of this uh, that we're going to talk about. I'm going to cover this product. The predecessor of Telemer Dew was founded in Telemer Town by Michael Malloy in 1829. Upon his death, the distillery passed to Captain Bernard Daly. Daly? Is it Daly or Daly? Daly. <laughs> Daly. And it was the during that time. Silent. Yeah. Potato, potato. Uh, that was during this time that Daniel. He's dead now. He can't correct you. Yeah, I agree. That very bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Daniel E. Will- Williams was hired to work at the distillery. And Mr. Williams actually became general manager in 1873 and eventually became the owner of the distillery. It was from Daniel's initials. D-E-W, Daniel E. Williams, get it, that the whiskey's name was derived. Mr. Williams is, I know, people are drinking in the middle of the show. you got to spell this stuff out. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mr. Williams is, <laughs> is credited with... There uh, down in the south, you have to spell it out. So. <laughs> Mr. Williams is credited as the first to create an Irish blended whiskey made from triple distilled spirits, not Jameson. Um, he is also credited with bringing electricity to Tillamore in 1893, and installing the town's first telephones and the introduction of the motorized vehicles to town. This guy was a full-blown renaissance man, that's for sure. Didn't bring him internet. How good is he? That is an industrialist. That was all to move whiskey. Yeah. Probably married Need a telephone and a truck. <laughs> Probably. Tell him or do survived the general decline in sales experienced by all the whiskey distilleries during the Prohibition and the Great Depression. After the Second World War, Desmond Williams, the grandson of Daniel E. Williams, developed Irish Mist. You might know that. An Irish liqueur made from a blend of whiskeys, herbs, honey, based on a 250-year-old recipe that they had rediscovered. The distillery was sold and closed in 1953, and its brands actually moved to New Middleton Distillery, which was subsequently acquired by William Grant and Sons, who built a new distillery in Tullamore, which began production in the fall of 2014. Now, the product that we have here, the Phoenix version, is actually a triple distilled blend of all three types of Irish whiskey, golden grain, malt, and pure pot still whiskey. It is characterized by its high content pot still whiskey finished in old Orla, Oloroso. Oloroso sherry cask. <clears throat> I've had too much whiskey. And it comes to you at 55 AB. There's, there's never too Touch much. your mouth. Yeah. There is no such thing. Yeah. Please help me, mother. Uh, <laughs> tell them do. Phoenix is a medium body whiskey with distinctive sherry notes and pleasantly spicy, creamy pot still whiskey flavors, nicely balanced. Well, my uh, tasting notes on this is, uh, you know, I thought there was a, a bit of uh, sherry kind of on the nose, um, and I just thought it was kind of the middle of the road. I, you know, maybe it's just I've had a lot of Irish whiskey and. For something to kind of jump out at me, you know, in, in this type of product, I, I don't know, just it'd be very difficult. Um, 
I was hoping for more, I guess, um, out of this. So my SIPs rating for Tillamore Dew Phoenix is actually a three. Interesting. Hmm, interesting. What was that again? So, uh, go to Gal Juliana. What do you think about Tillamore Dew? I thought Phoenix? it was super sweet, um, very creamy, honey, um, <coughs> and just a little intoxicating for me. Um, more so than I thought it would be. And I gave it a three. A three as well. How about that? Interesting. It is kind of sweet. You're right. Good old boy, Bob. What do you think about uh, Tillamore Dew Phoenix? If you tried this after that. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard one to follow. Uh, on the nose, apricot, apples, uh, cereal grain, um, little clove, little spice. On the palate, again, apricots and pears, little oak. Um, thought it was a little hot. Um, length was you know, medium finish on it. Overall, you know, a, a decent whiskey. Um, you know, not exactly the best one I've ever had from Ireland, but uh, a solid performer. I'd give it a three. Three as well. Interesting. <clears throat> well, um, uh, why we... Uh, uh, we need to get uh, Harmeet's uh, uh, tasting notes on Tillamore Dew. Phoenix. All right. The Phoenix is very hot. You know, it's a, a bird on fire. 110 proof. I, uh, I I mean, I appreciate cast strength and I appreciate higher proof whiskeys, but uh, I thought this was a little one note. I got the sweetness out of it. Uh, I just didn't think it was complex as I would like it to be, and I gave it a three. A three as well. How about that? Kind of interesting. Well, uh, next up is our last product, but certainly not the least, that's for sure, uh, is going to be the Amrut single malt peated product. Bob is going to talk about this product. All right. Uh, Amrut was founded in 1948 in Bangalore in India. Uh, they made a variety of liquors, uh, mostly molasses-based, which is still a, a, a prevalent style in that country. Uh, in 1982, they decided to create a malt whiskey using locally grown barley. Uh, much like Kavlan in Taiwan, the tropical climate there uh, makes an evaporation rate, angels share, up to about 12% a year, uh, causing the whiskey to age faster in the barrels than it would in the cooler climates, places like Scotland, where they're losing maybe 2% a year. Uh, the master blender there, Surinder, uh, Surinder Kumar, says that uh, one year, in his warehouses equals about three in your average warehouse in uh, America or Scotland. Is that like uh, Indian math? <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. Hey, we did invent the number zero. That's true. <laughs> We're cool like that. But uh, I want to... So did Washington. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are, those are like nine zeros after every yeah. one. No, I'm, I'm talking about the, that mainly uh, molasses-based spirits. That's just a fancy way of saying rum. Yeah. We make a lot of rum in India. Yeah. yeah. Mm. They make rum, and it's called Johnny Walker. So, <laughs> with two Ks. Yeah. Um, Amrit makes, makes a wonderful rum that's finished in port casks, by the way. It's really oh, great. That would be interesting. Bob, yeah. your tasting notes here on this product. Uh, well, on the nose, the you know the peat smoke weeps out at you. A little bit of uh, a little bit of spice, almost pepper. On the palate, uh, again. The peat comes out, but underneath it layers uh, a little bit fruity, a little bit tart. Um, I can pick up the hints of malt. Um, and in the finish, uh, pretty long finish, 
uh, definitely hints of licorice, uh, a little bit of fruit, and uh, almost like a light tea flavor. Um, I'd give it a good solid three. Three. Interesting. Hmm, interesting. What was that again? Kurogao Juliana, what do you think about Amrut, the single malt peat? The peat was definitely there. Um, in terms of aroma, I thought it was like a peat lover's dream. But then when you taste it, it's um, it, it's got this sweetness behind it uh, that helps to blend it out. And um, it, it's like a poor man's Isla whiskey to me. Because um, I would want the peat to stay, and it, it finished rather quickly. Um, and this, I gave it three. Three as well. Interesting. Hmm, interesting. What was that again? Uh, good old boy, Harmony, what do you think about the Amrud single malt peated? Well, it's not Isla. I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, I will have to say this, though. The, the, um, balt, the malted barley they make it from is from Isla. They buy their, they buy their barley from Isla. It's malted. They don't disclose the source. Um, you know that's that's fine. Uh, you know they make one of the world's best whiskeys as well, Fusion, which is fifty percent. It's a fifty-fifty. Again, the metric system thing with the fifty-fifty hundred stuff. Fifty percent malted barley from Isla. Fifty percent uh, grain grown in Punjab, or malted uh, barley that's uh, not been peated in the Punjab, and then that's made into Fusion at a hundred proof. This whiskey is not that. This is a hundred percent barley from Scotland, but it's a, you know distilled. It's all, it's all peated too, and it's been aged and uh, distilled and aged in India. It's got the peat. It's got the sweets. It's a Kalila to me. If you you know Kalila's got that uh, that that sweet core underneath, like you left a marshmallow in the fire too long and you eat it anyway. Hmm smoky and sweet at the same time it's there but I was disappointed in the finish it wasn't as long as I thought it should have been so I gave it a three a three as well interesting <clears throat> well uh, my tasting notes here on uh, Amrut single malt peated um, pretty simple again uh, sweet uh, peat and a sweet finish uh, were the two things I wrote down you know I thought that uh, the one thing I wrote down was I bet this is very popular. This strikes me as making something that is very sellable. Um, I think there would be a lot of people that would walk in and go, you know what, I want something that has a lot of peat. But I don't think they know what a lot of peat is until they've, you know, like laid hands on an Ardbeg, you know, alligator, or, you know, it's just a pure, you know, peat bomb. Um, I think that this allow someone to approach uh, inter, you know, having an uh, essence of peat without it just being invasive. And I think uh, that's why I really I'm betting that this is a very popular product as a result of that. Um, so I would, I think approachable would be uh, the right way I would describe this. And I think a lot of people would enjoy this. Um, you know, I don't know that I would probably throw it up in the hallows of all the greatest you know peated products that i've ever enjoyed but still it's a really great product i'm gonna give it a solid four so well uh really great uh products all the way around that we got to talk about today and uh we really traveled all over the globe you know for this discussion well let's uh wrap up our episode for today uh it was really great 
Thanks to all our listeners on Sips, Suds, and Smokes. You can catch all of our episodes online on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, PRX, YouTube, Uncle John's Basement, and Spreaker, our native media host. Our terrestrial radio stations are always questioning, I'm sorry, always expanding. <laughs> and if you would like to hear this show on your favorite radio station, send them a note questioning all of their elements of judgment and copy us as well. You can reach us online anytime. Our email address is info at sipsudsandsmokes.com. Our daily tasting notes flow out on Twitter every single day at sipsudsmoke. And our Facebook page is always buzzing with lots of news. Listen, do us a favor and take the time to rate this episode if you're listening to us online. That's a great big help to us, and we get to see your feedback as well. This episode of Sips, Suds, and Smokes is sponsored by Fine Spirits Wine and Liquor. Check out the Animatic machines to sample great products by the glass, including great selections of bourbon and whiskey. You can reach them online at www.finespirits.net. Well, no matter how you're going to say it today, you're going to say goodbye in any language. Goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye. And see you later. See you later. See you later. I'll see you guys later. Adios. 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 Paalam. 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 Paasalama. Paasalama. Arrivederci. Arrivederci. Bonsoir. Good old gal Juliana. Thank you for being here today. Das Vidanya. <laughs> Good old boy Bob. Thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure to be here. Good old boy Harmeet. Thank you for joining us today. Bye, con carne, y'all. <laughs> Go with meat. Go with meat. <laughs> well, this is Good old boy Mike asking you to come back and join us once again and keep on sipping. This has been a one-tan-hand production of Sip, Suds, and Smokes, a program devoted to the appreciation of some of the finer slices of life. From the dude in the basement studios, your hosts, the good old boys, will see you all next time.